you so much for joining us for uh, this podcast. We're really excited to have you. Oh, thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm <laughs> yeah, very happy um, to share my research with the global fintech community. Yeah, we're really excited to have you. Um, and as you know, uh, China has gotten a lot of attention in terms of venture capital and um, just global attention in regards to its financial innovation. And so we thought that it would be very time uh, appropriate to talk about this uh, topic here with the Wharton FinTech podcast. So thank you so much for joining us today. So before we start, I thought that we, uh, I would just read off your background so that our listeners can have a better sense of your background. Um, Dr. Jing Wong is the mm-hmm. Assistant Professor of Interactive Media Business at NYU Shanghai. She studies how information technologies reshape the financial domain in the global context. She has published her work in peer-reviewed journals and commented on business news related to this. At NYU Shanghai, she teaches the course Understanding Financial Technologies to the students from six continents. Prior to joining NYU, she taught at Tulane University in Louisiana. Professor Wong holds a doctoral degree from the School of Communication and Information at Rutgers University. Thank you so much for joining us again, Dr. Wong. Thank you for having me. We thought that initially it would be good to get a quick overview of what you've done research on and what you're currently mm-hmm. focusing your research. Yeah. Uh, my background is in the field of uh, communication studies, and mm-hmm. I focused on the social studies of communication technologies, such as social media platform, mobile Internet, and the consumer-based mm-hmm. apps. So in the last decade, these technologies have been exponentially applied in financial industries. Mm-hmm. They have reconfigured how people interact with money and with banks. While technology has enabled automated finance, it has also challenged existing regulatory systems. So I'm very interested in navigating the intersections of uh, technology institutions and the financial markets. My recent work uh, focuses on the social and political implications of Chinese fintechs. Specifically, I study how fintech companies reshape the consumer behavior and investment cultures in China. In addition, I also look at how the policy environment uh, influences the development of Chinese fintechs. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah, that sounds really exciting because it's uh, exactly what we would like to talk about today. Um, so as you know, uh, as you know, China mm-hmm. has been at the forefront of financial innovation, and some might mm-hmm. argue that they're, you know, years ahead of the U.S. in some mm-hmm. aspects. For example, the widespread mm-hmm. use of AliPay and WeChat Pay, uh, moneyless techno- uh, mm-hmm. uh, economy, um, has really taken off there. So can you talk about some of the rapid innovation that has taken place in China over the years as it relates to the finance sector? And um, from your view, how the regulatory environment has supported the rapid development of fintech companies? Yeah, there is a very interesting paradox here. So Mm -hmm. on the one hand, China has taken more than half of the global fintech market. And the four out of the top five fintech innovators are from China. On the other hand, the finance sector in China is well known for uh, the conservative control by the central government. Compared to its counterpart in the West, China's finance Mm -hmm. is lagging behind 
in terms of marketization and modernization. So what makes China a giant in the fintech arena? I would say there is an ensemble of multiple factors that enables the rise of Chinese fintechs. Mm -hmm. uh, first of all, the domestic market is based on a huge and a very powerful IT infrastructure that is collectively constructed by the state and the private sector. Um, mm -hmm. Specifically, as of December 2018, about 800 million Chinese people have Internet access, and more than 98% of them use Internet on their mobile phones. So it's truly a mobile Internet. So the pervasive use of mobile internet paved the way for the rapid development of fintech market. As you just mentioned, the pervasive use of Alipay is based on this kind of infrastructure. Right. And secondly, um, Chinese consumers, particularly the younger generation, they are very open to innovative financial products and services. And they pick up digital services very quickly. So this is part of the new wealth management culture gradually formed since the early 2000s, which definitely mm -hmm. contributes to the invention and, and diffusion of um, uh, financial technologies. Right. Um, in the meantime, uh, fintech companies in China uh, well adopt the uh, Chinese cultures, the business cultures uh, developed among the Chinese internet companies. They really emphasize rapid innovation, which means consistently collecting data that reflect the user's experience, and then rapidly turn the data analytics into new software design. So I call this cultures of rapid iteration, which I think is a key dynamic that allows the Chinese fintech companies to mm -hmm. provide the most wanted fintech products and services to the individual mm -hmm. users. So I'm writing in one of my papers. I mm -hmm. call it uh, cultural of rapid iteration. Yeah, mm -hmm. so um, maybe it corresponds to uh, the idea of agile management. So meaning mm -hmm. that uh, um, the company consistently collecting data from the users and uh, rapidly uh, reflect and rapidly turn this data anal analytics into new software, software design. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So this is about the fintech companies. So we already mm -hmm. talk about IT infrastructure. We talk about um, consumers, um, especially the younger generation, the digital generation, mm -hmm. uh, the wealth management culture developed among these people. Mm -hmm. And also we talk about fintech companies. Last but not least, I think Chinese government had been very supportive during the early development of fintech industry, specifically mm -hmm. from uh, year 2012 to 2014. So the government considers FinTech a new business category that mm -hmm. uses the internet to enhance the social outcome and economic efficiency of the financial sector. That's why FinTech was called internet finance during this time. Mm -hmm. So the government considered internet finance a great supplement for the traditional banking sector uh, for example, internet finance could enhance capital liquidity in the overall financial system when they cover the small and the micro enterprises that have been locked out of the traditional banking system. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So these are the ensemble of uh, ensemble of multiple factors. But having said all this, um, um, financial innovation in China 
is not a one-dimensional movement. It's not mm-hmm. only about rapid development all the way ahead. So there are lots of drawbacks that call for our attention. For example, the cultures of rapid iteration that I mentioned earlier could easily uh, lead to the labor issues. There is an intense debate on the 996 working schedule. Right. Also, the consumers' uh, cons- uh, consumers' uh, enthusiasm toward alternative investment products provided by non-banking institutions could potentially lead to an overly high debt versus deposit ratio that then lead to systemic risks. So noticing all these pitfalls, the Chinese government started to regulate the fintech sector since the year 2015, and the policy environment become much more complicated than before, which mm-hmm. we can talk about, talk further about this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. great. Um, and just so in case uh, our listeners don't know, the culture of 996 in China, well, would you mind going into that a little bit in more detail? Mm-hmm. Uh, so can you say it again? I uh, missed a part of the question. Sure. The 996 working culture. So this is um, qu- quite mm-hmm. off topic. So it's not all, only applied to the fintech company. Probably it's part of the um, business culture among the uh, IT industries, Internet companies. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. so it specifically means uh, um, 9 a.m. to 9 p.m., six days a, uh, a week. So, mm-hmm. yeah, the... the um, um, it's really about the labor issue um, um, yeah. in the mm-hmm. in the IT industries. Yeah, right. That's kind of induced by uh, the rapid innovation culture that been that has been going on in in China currently. Yeah, it's, it's yeah. highly related, yeah. and also it's not uh, unique to China. Uh, actually, yeah. the the uh, this kind of agile management originally originated uh, in Silicon Valley in the U.S. But I would say maybe there it's appropriated by the Chinese enter- IT enterprises um, nowadays for yeah. the highly complex development. That's right. <laughs> Great. Mm-hmm. Um, and in terms of uh, you touched on the regulatory um, environment, uh, I was just wondering uh, what are currently the main regulatory bodies in China for fintech? Um, for example, mm-hmm. uh, can you compare that with um, the regulatory bodies in the U.S. versus China? Um, and how mm-hmm. the framework has differed between the two countries? Yeah, so in the traditional financial sector, uh, Chinese State Council uh, leads the central bank and the uh, chi- Chinese uh, Banking Regulatory Commission, uh, China mm-hmm. Security Regulatory Commission, the so-called mm-hmm. uh, CBRC and the CSRC. So the uh, State Council leads the central bank and these two commissions to take care mm-hmm. of the regulatory work. So this mm-hmm. is a quite centralized and also clear-cut institutional structure. Mm-hmm. And uh, in the fintech sector, however, uh, the boundaries of the regulatory structure is much more malleable. It includes mm-hmm. a wider variety of actors in policy making and execution processes. Mm-hmm. Um, in addition to the three mainstream financial regulators, institutions in the political informational, legal, as well as economic arena also get mm. involved. Uh, mm. For example, yeah, the National Stability Leading Group plays a crucial role in the making of the so-called 20 rules for fintechs, which is announced in 2015. 
Mm. There are also informational and technological uh, institutions that involved. For example, uh, Cyberspace Administration Office. And uh, there are also legal institutions such as Legislative Affairs Office of the State mm. Council. And in terms of uh, economic institutions, we're talking about um, the departments such as Development and Reform Commission. So in addition, in addition to these um, political, informational, legal, and economic institutions, the State Council will also, would also include specialized institutions as, as regulatory actors. For example, mm -hmm. the Ministry of Education is assigned to protect and also discipline the borrowers when some uh, loan sharks use the internet to lure college students for usurious loans. So mm -hmm. I call such a side structure, why, uh, the side structure, so the, the financial institutions are the central structure. And these institutions I mentioned just now, I call them a uh, side structure, um, um, and I termed it as piles, because uh, it wishes mm -hmm. refers to political, informational, legal, economics, and specialized, so piles. Oh, okay. um, it's noteworthy that um, the inclusion of the highly diverse actors in policy making and execution uh, doesn't signify the decentralization of regulatory work. Uh, in July 2018, the State Council established the Financial Stability and Development Committee, also known as FSDC. Um, so that's the SDC is to strengthen oversight of the financial system and the contain risks. So mm -hmm. in the FSDC's framework, the central bank playing a stronger role in microprudential management, and all financial businesses will be put under its supervision. Mm -hmm. So this is the situation in China. And then compared to the institutional structure in China, the U.S. regulatory framework is more specified, decentralized, and less stringent. So each mm. type of um, fintech corresponds to a specific regulatory commission or framework. Uh, mm. For example, uh, there is a, um, this, uh, the, this act called the Jumpstart Our Business Startup Act, which is enacted mm. in 2012. It is to oversee the crowdfunding portals. Yeah, very specific. Mm. So for, mm. while these startups must register with SEC, the U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission, and uh, FINRA, the Financial Industry Regulatory Authority, um, mm -hmm. while these startups must register with SEC and FINRA, uh, the compliance requirements for these companies, these startup companies, are less strict than those traditional broker dealers. Mm. So put the comparison in simple, so there's a very um, comprehensive, very detailed structure there over there, but uh, to put the comparison um, of the situation between the situation in China and the situation in the U.S., to put this kind of comparison in simple, uh, the situation in China is that the very conserv conservative regulatory system is encountering the uh, abrupt challenges from the rapid development of extremely diverse fintech businesses. And the government's mm -hmm. supportive strategy was soon replaced by a higher level of centralized control. Mm 
mm-hmm. differently. Uh, the situation in the U.S. is that a more developed regulation system is adapting to the gradual development of uh, fintechs. The central mm-hmm. government agencies, such as the Federal Reserve Banks, they treat most fintech companies as startups and it would uh, be very supportive to their development. Mm, got it. So in a mm-hmm. way, it kind of is related to um, the different party system, uh, whereas in China, it's just one centralized government. And so a lot of the initiatives can be implemented more um, effectively uh, through a centralized mm-hmm. regime. Well, um, as opposed to yeah. in the U.S. is kind of uh, more from a bottoms-up approach. Right, right. Also, it's very hard to define um, um, this like a uh, effectiveness, right? So right. Um, each each institutional, both of these two institutional structures, you know, you, in the China and then in the U.S., they kind of adapt to the situation and re- respond to the situation based mm-hmm. on the political ideological foundations. Right, very unique, mm-hmm. very distinctive to each other. Uh, I'm curious because you said that um, they they had applied uh, 20 rules that are related to fintech. Um, could you go into a little bit more detail into uh, about that? Yeah, so it is uh, the um, the the it, the document the uh, regulation has a very long uh, title. Mm-hmm. So the mm-hmm. guidance. Uh, for the internet finance sector in terms of its healthy development. In the fintech sector or in the financial industry in general, people all refer to, to it as uh, 20 rules for fintech. Uh, yeah, mm-hmm. it's announcing, actually announced in 2015, in July 2015, uh, which mm-hmm. signifies that uh, the party, the central, the central uh, government is um, um, putting much stricter control on the internet finance sector, mm-hmm. and uh, the uh, the committee I just mentioned. So upon the uh, fifth um, national financial work uh, conference, mm-hmm. which is in July uh, in November two thousand seventeen, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, the state council announced that the uh, the government is going to establish this committee. The Financial Stability and Development Committee, but it, mm-hmm. uh, this committee is officially established in July 2018 and had its mm-hmm. very uh, first meeting. Yeah, so mm-hmm. FSDC is regulating the financial sector uh, or mm-hmm. um, uh, or the fin- all financial businesses on behalf of the state council. Council. Oh, okay. That's re- yeah, yeah. That's really helpful. Yeah. Thank so, you for that. Yeah. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so after all these um, piles thing, right, quite decentralized, mm-hmm. quite, uh, uh, so inclusion of a much uh, a wider variety of actors in the policy making and execution processes. After all this, um, the state um, established this committee. Um, so I would say, uh, instead of saying this is a decentralization of uh, regulatory work, it's actually uh, signified by mm-hmm. a higher level of centralized control. Mm-hmm. Great. In terms of the jurisdiction that um, they have control or authority over, um, does that include only mainland China, or does it also include kind of regions such as um, Hong, uh, Hong Kong um, mm. or Macau? No, it's really about the mainland China. So mm. 
yeah, um, the major. So there's a lot, a lot of differences between the uh, regulatory systems in Hong Kong uh, versus in mainland China, mm. and the major differences uh, between the two regulatory systems are twofold. Um, Hong Kong. So the, the first of all, there's a large premise. Hong Kong as a special administrative region, SAR, the special administrative region in China, has its own legal framework. So it's not all about finance. It has its own legal framework. Uh, so in line with this uh, large, this big premise, the financial industries in Hong Kong also has subject to a regulatory system that is separate from the Chinese central bank. Mm -hmm. Uh, mm -hmm. For example, uh, the principal statute is the Securities and the Futures Ordinance, aka SFO, and the financial entities and the persons are licensed or regulated by the Securities and the Futures Commission, SFC, in Hong Kong. Mm -hmm. So these are very different uh, uh, institutions. And mm -hmm. uh, um, fintech businesses in Hong Kong are subject to the existing body of Hong Kong financial laws and regulations. Mm -hmm. And they must be licensed by the SFC unless they fall within uh, an exemption. Mm -hmm. Also, from April 2019, investment products offered by intermediaries via online platforms are all regulated by SFC. So the SFC also now scrutinizes and has imposed certain restrictions on the intermediaries involved in the distribution of virtual asset funds, for example, digital currencies and the crypto assets. Mm -hmm. So those fintech companies who plan to take Hong Kong as the fortress of their mm -hmm. global business, uh, they really should keep eyes on the shift taking place at F SFC. Uh, the uh, uh, Securities and the Futures Commission in Hong Kong. Mm -hmm. So if the companies are developing online banking services or doing fintech businesses with the banking sector in Hong Kong, they should be aware of the comp compliance terms issued by the Hong Kong Monetary Authority, uh, HCMA. Yeah. So the Hong Kong really has a very separate system, very different mm -hmm. system that we talk about um, for mm -hmm. uh, the situation in the China, China mainland. Got it. And um, are there much interaction between the two um, uh, governing bodies um, in both mainland China and Hong Kong, or do they kind of work very separately? Well, it depends on the specific cases, but in mm -hmm. general, uh, Hong Kong has uh, a lot of autonomy. Got it. Yeah, that's mm -hmm. really helpful because, um, you know, when we talk about mainland China, there's usually a delineation between Hong Kong and the mainland um, and understanding kind of the differences in regulatory environment for specific and mm -hmm. products and companies was, is really important right. to consider. Right. Um, and in terms right, of, exactly. I just would like to kind of switch gears here um, because understanding mm -hmm. the financial innovation um, in addition to taking into consideration of the regulatory environment um, is kind mm -hmm. of the other portion of what type of innovation has taken place. And from a social mm -hmm. standpoint, and recently mm -hmm. it's been in the news that you know, social scoring mm -hmm. has been implemented in China. Oh. Um, mm -hmm. And it, it's really important. It's really interesting to see the dynamic of how the government works with some of these mm -hmm. um, 
fintech companies to develop a system like that? Do you have any experience uh, researching that aspect or talking to different fintech companies about this? So when you say social scoring system, are you talking about the uh, social credit system? Right, right. Like the, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, so it's kind right. of like the Sesame credit. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, so um, Chinese fintech companies have accumulated user data uh, based on which they construct their credit record system. Uh, for example, uh, in January 2015, uh, Ant mm-hmm. Financial, the subsidy mm-hmm. of Alibaba, uh, mm-hmm. wrote out the Jima credit, also known right. as Sesame credit. Mm-hmm. So this system allows individuals, uh, users, to build up their digital credit record via online shopping and borrowing. Mm-hmm. Licensed by the Chinese Central Bank mm-hmm. uh, and Financial uh, able to function as a third-party agency providing services such as credit scoring and the credit investigation. Mm-hmm. So there are a couple of internet fa- companies runs credit services and they, are, they uh, get license from, um, they got license from the Chinese Central Bank. So these companies mm-hmm. including, include um, uh, Ant uh, Financial, uh, Tencent Finance, etc. Yeah. And uh, in March 2018, under the supervision of the central bank, uh, the Chinese Internet Finance Association collaborated with Ant uh, Financial, Tencent Finance, and six other fintech companies and established by Hong Credit, which is the largest credit scoring company in China. So Baihang is expected to link to link the individual databases owned by these individual companies and to provide the digital credit scores of Chinese consumers and investors that the banks wouldn't be able to provide. So in this way, the data collected by separate uh, uh, stakeholders are integrated by Baihang. Uh, the reform the data infrastructure is used for uh, social credit scoring in these four aspects, uh, government affairs, judicial affairs, uh, social activities, and the commercial behaviors. The reward and the punishment mechanism is also established accordingly. So I would say uh, fintech companies would like to uh, collaborate with the Baihan project because uh, this project helps to monetize their database and algorithmic technologies, right? So they, they are, mm-hmm. so with this background, they are the third party, certified, licensed third party company providing credit investigation services. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, it, it also, this background project also helps to establish them as metrics, a national metrics for credit scoring. So to the government, uh, building a credit economy has been a long-lasting vision uh, since the open-up and the reform in the early 1990s. And fintech companies in this context facilitate the government to get closer to this blueprint. Yeah, mm-hmm. so both parties of this project are highly uh, motivated to for this kind of collaboration. So mm-hmm. uh, while we talk a lot about the advancement of digital credit system, the drawbacks of such a powerful system should not be neglected. Uh, many scholars in the West consider this, this system as the master surveillance project dominated by the state. 
So right. it will be useful also to look at the issues such as personal privacy and information security. Yeah, I uh, read somewhere and um, it was a Harvard Business Review article that talked about how much people of different region are willing to put on, spend to keep mm. their data, personal data private. And it was mm-hmm. something like um, Germans are willing to pay close to $200 mm. and yeah. Americans are willing to pay $120 or so and Chinese yeah. citizens are only willing to pay $4. So there's a huge disparity <laughs> among <laughs> the different regions in terms of regards to data privacy. Right, exactly. There's a uh, quite interesting um, ideological and a cultural um, dynamics underpinning these kind of differences. So mm-hmm. um, uh, I'm also working on a project uh, studying the discourses of um, social credit in Chinese media. And I want to find out, um, um, my collaborators, my co-authors, and I want to find out how um, the uh, discourses surrounding social credit um, has uh, formed and reformed Chinese people's understanding towards credit. Why they become, why they are so open-minded towards uh, credit, the collection of information, uh, which will contribute to the social credit system. Yeah, why they are willing to um, to support the construction of such system. Right. Yeah, I think um, it's especially interesting for China because they already have such a huge population, and for mm-hmm. the the consumers to have lower regard for personal privacy just makes it even better for fintech companies to kind of really leverage that to create a product mm-hmm. that really fits to the consumer's needs. Um, obviously, there are certain drawbacks related to this, but um, on the on, on the positive side, um, it makes the right. technology so much more advanced as a result of this. In terms of... Um, I'm curious to see what your thoughts and your insights are in regards to government's oversight on the different subsectors within uh, fintech mm. in China. So, mm. for example, mm. um, P2P lending, payments, um, and you also talked mm. about wealth management. Kind of, mm. uh, what are some of the government oversights on these fronts? So, uh, China has a very comprehensive licensing system, uh, which is supervised by the central bank or the CBRC. Uh, the Banking Regulatory uh, Commission. Uh, for example, a fintech company has to apply for different types of licenses according to the specific business categories. Uh, there's a license for digital payment, a particular license for online banking, a particular license for insurance, uh, micro-lending, credit scoring investigation, and fund management, so on and so forth. Uh, besides, uh, such licenses are contingent to the compliance, uh, compliance uh, status of the fintech companies. So they are inactive for three, or three to five years. And the companies have to renew the licenses with the regulators. Um, as we mentioned earlier, uh, year 2000, uh, 2015 can be considered a watershed. If the government uh, left a flexible space for the early development of fintechs, intentionally or not, uh, the government has put a much stricter uh, stranglehold 
companies on the fintech sector, overall fintech sector, since the year 2015. And this kind of control particularly applied to the peer-to-peer -to -peer lending sector. Right. There, there was an impetus for the um, implementation of this type of regulation, right? Right, right, exactly. Yeah. So, um, uh, on one hand, there's a very comprehensive licensing system. On the other hand, there's this time logic applied here um, uh, when we talk about the oversight on different subsectors. Mm -hmm. Right. In terms of, uh, you know, FinTech, it's hard to not touch on virtual currencies because that's the uh, forefront of financial innovation. So uh, what are the Chinese government's take uh -huh. on virtual currencies and what type of regulations are in place uh, in regards to that? Because um, yeah. as many people know, China is a huge area of focus for a lot of virtual currencies. A lot of Chinese um, kind of right. go and mine uh, these digital mm. currencies as well. Yeah, some things are allowed while others are illegal. So mm -hmm. we have we know that this initial coin offering, also called ICO, is illegal. So in September fourth, two thousand seven on September fourth, two thousand seventeen, uh, the central bank officially announced the so called nine fourth uh, prohibition. Uh, in Chinese called Jiu Si Jing Ming. Because it, because it's announced on September the fourth, so the industry all refer this this uh, uh, announcement to as mm -hmm. uh, nine four uh, nine four prohibition. Mm -hmm. So ICO is illegal. However, Bitcoin mining is quite active in China. If we take the virtual currency mining mining as a global network, one third of the network nodes are located in China. Besides, uh, Chinese investors' enthusiasm toward Bitcoin has boosted the speculative value of virtual currency. So this kind of contradiction shows that the government accepts virtual currency as a digital token and also accepts it as the technological innovation. And it would permit the creation and the use of virtual currency within a particular cyber community. However, the government won't allow such tokens get into the fiat currency system. They won't allow the exchange between virtual currency and the formal currency, since mm -hmm. it would influence the stability of the overall financial system. That's kind Got of it. a general rule, yeah, through which Got we it. understand um, policies or regulation, detailed specific policies, uh, if there's any in the future. Mm -hmm. Got it. So essentially, um, Chinese are allowed to mine these currencies um, and trade amongst themselves, but not necessarily convert it to RMB. Mm -hmm. Right, right, exactly. Yeah, great. Well, thank you so much for your time. Um, I think I just wanted to end on one last question, which is mm -hmm. um, looking ahead, just looking mm -hmm. at what you know about the regu regulatory environment in China and uh -huh. um, what some of the fintech companies are focusing on. What type of uh, companies do you think will experience headwinds versus tailwinds from the current um, regulatory environment in China? Um, I'm uh -huh. assuming, you know, policies that are put in place directly impacts kind of 
the, the trajectory of some of these business models. Um, so I would love to get your thoughts on that if you have any insights. Right, right. Yeah, so policy changes in Chinese fintech area deserve a continuous observation given that uh, financial technologies develop so fast and the mm-hmm. institutional structure always wants to contain the changes that enabled by technological development. So that's why we need to be very careful when we try to predict anything. But uh, based on the current policies, we could say at least these three dimensions. Uh, number one, uh, as the Chinese President Xi Jinping highlighted in the fifth uh, fifth National Financial World Conference in 2017. Uh, it is an everlasting imperative that the financial sector shall hedge the systemic risk. So any companies that don't adhere to this imperative wouldn't have a space to survive. And in practice, the government has a set of uh, specific metrics to evaluate the level of financial risk or systemic risk. For example, uh, the most often used one is the, uh, deposit uh, and uh, loan ratio, or deposit and debt ratio. And another metric is leverage ratio. So fintech companies are required to abide such uh, metrics. Uh, number two, I think um, another major theme uh, based on the current uh, policies is that uh, uh, is financial inclusion. So those fintech companies that help uh, the small and the micro enterprises to get startup funds and the business loans, uh, thus to boost the growth of the SSME sector, will be supported by the government. Uh, besides, uh, the government also supports fintech companies when they help to grow rural finance, uh, uh, when they contribute to the growth of the rural economy particularly in the agricultural sector. Yeah. So uh, besides these two sectors, the SME sector and the agriculture, the rural sector, um, the government has been promoting digital economy in the past decade. Uh, in a more general sense, uh, fintech companies that use digital technologies to pull domestic demand would get supported. Also, syntax that contribute to the supply side reform would get supported. That means uh, the government expects syntax to help growing the real economy as opposed to uh, fictitious uh, economy. Great. Yeah, so I think looking ahead, it would be interesting to see how the financial sector evolves over time as a result of the innovation mm-hmm. that's taken place. And yeah. um, it seems like the government is in- intimately involved throughout this top process in mainland China. Um, and it's very fascinating to, see, fascinating to see how much progress the financial sector mm-hmm. in China has really experienced as a result of these type of mm-hmm. innovations from big technology right. firms. Um, and it's also very interesting to see that it's, it is due to the lack of existing infrastructure um, within the mm-hmm. financial industry that a lot of these fintech companies have taken place and gotten a lot of um, you know capital to mm-hmm. build on their their business models. So um, thank you so much, Dr. Jing Wang, for uh, walking us through. 
uh, what you see as the regulatory environment in China and you know, some of the the trends that you're you're currently seeing. Um, really appreciate your time, and uh, I hope uh, we continue to stay stay in touch. Uh, look forward to to le- learning more about your research going forward. And um, thank you so much for your time. Sure, my pleasure. Uh, thanks again for inviting me here.